Good to see all of you. Uh, my name is Robert, one of the, uh, the pastors here at Blue Ridge. Uh, Ted is away, uh, probably as we speak on an airplane, flying back from somewhere with the Air Force. He is, uh, he is an Air Force Reserve chaplain. Um, it's one of the, uh, one of the beauties of uh, our shared leadership model here, because um, uh, I'm available and uh, hopefully able, we'll see here in a minute, to preach. Uh, uh, Ted's able to, uh, to go away and uh, participate in, in some incredible mission opportunities uh, through the Air Force Reserve, and so uh, I'm sure he's having a, a great time ministering and serving the, uh, the Air Force folks there, and so we're, we're really glad that, that he's able to do that. Go ahead and uh, take your Bibles out, turn to John, uh, the Gospel of John. Um, it kind of feels like we're, we're really kind of just getting going with this new sermon series that, that we're calling I Am looking at um, really the, the testimony of John the Apostle and, and what he has to say to us um, about Jesus. We're going to be in John chapter 1 this morning, uh, really looking at verses 35 uh, through 51, really just picking up where, uh, where Ted left off uh, last week. Um, and you know, uh, this week as I, was, as I was thinking about this passage and thinking about John's message to us, uh, th- this idea of, you know, s- there are some things in life that you just kind of have to see for yourself, right? One of the things that, that kind of stood out to me, um, th- thinking about that this week, um, one of our church members came to mind, I was thinking about that. His name's Randall. I don't want to embarrass Randall this morning or anything like that, but you may not know this about him, but this guy is really, really strong. Really, really strong. He's, he's competed in some, uh, some weightlifting stuff before. Um, but it's kind of like you, you see Randall, and he's this really gentle, soft-spoken man, and you would have no idea that he could probably pick up a house. Um, I mean, literally, I've seen, him, I've seen him put nearly 600 pounds on a bar and pick it up. Something that you would, you almost have to see it to believe it. And, and last week, we had something very similar go on in John's Gospel, right? With this guy, John the Baptist, the the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they didn't quite believe that John was who he said he was, right? They needed to see for themselves. I kind of think of those guys that they sent to, to investigate and check out John the Baptist like the judges from the Guinness Book of World Records, right? You can say all you want that you can juggle three chainsaws over your head, but we're going to have to come out and count and make sure you have all your ears, your fingers, and your toes before it's official, right? These guys, in their mind, John the Baptist did not have a message from God unless these guys said so. They were the ones that would make it official. But when they go out to see him, as we saw last week, all he keeps telling them, he won't tell them really who he is. All he keeps saying is that, listen, guys, all you need to know is that the one that's coming after me is greater than me. And I've come to prepare the way for them, for him. And so our passage this morning picks right up where that left off. Let's begin reading in verse 35. The very next day, John said, verse 35, the next day, John was standing, this is John the Baptist, and let me clarify here, it can be very confusing, right? There's John the the Apostle and John the Baptist. John the Apostle is the one who we believe wrote this gospel that we're studying, and then we have this other figure that we've been learning about, John the Baptist. So in verse 35, the John that we're talking about is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Hold, the Lamb of God. 
The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. I want to stop right there. What I want to do this morning is I want to take our passage and I want to divide it in half. I want to look at uh, what I believe are the, the two scenes that John wants us, John the Apostle, the one who wrote this book, that John wants us to consider. And uh, the first thing that I want to point out to you is this title that John the Baptist gives Jesus once again. Jesus walks by, and John the Baptist once again identifies him as the Lamb of God. Now, John's already called Jesus this. We, we heard that last week, back up in, in verse 29. And as we're going to see here throughout our text this morning, uh, John the Baptist, uh, the disciples, they're going to they're gonna give Jesus titles, not names, but, but titles, but they don't really fully understand the meaning behind those titles. If you've ever uh, read a story or watched a movie where um, you, the, the viewer, if it's a movie, the reader, if, you're, if it's a story, you know things that the characters in the story don't know, right? Either because they haven't happened in the, in the course of time, or maybe the characters will never know in a story, right? And that's, that's kind of what's going on here. We know things about Jesus because we live on the other side of his death, burial, and resurrection that these men, John the Baptist and the disciples, they don't, they don't know because it hasn't happened yet. So they're going to say things about Jesus that they don't, they don't fully understand. And we need to keep that in mind as we, as we work through this this morning. Now, uh, this, this scene between uh, John the Baptist, his disciples, and Jesus, it doesn't go anything like I expect or I think it should go this morning, right? In, in my mind, I think it should happen something like this. John the Baptist is the, the forerunner to Jesus. He's the one coming to prepare the way for him. He has these two disciples that are with him. In my mind, John the Baptist is going to make introductions, right? He's going to say, all right, guys, this is the one that I've been telling you about. His name's Jesus. And then he's going to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, these are my disciples. Now, guys, why don't you go and, and follow him? But at least from, from John's recording here, we don't, we don't get any of that. John the Baptist just looks at Jesus walking by and says, look, that is the Lamb of God. That is the Lamb of God. And before, literally in the text, before he can get the word out of his mouth, these two disciples, they bolt. They bolt and they run off following Jesus. They, they leave their master, the, uh, their own rabbi, their teacher that they've been following and studying from, and they start following this new guy, whom John the, the Baptist said is the Lamb of God. And what's amazing is, is just like that, for so, so much of our, of our time in John, John the Baptist has been this this prominent figure, right? This important guy. But just like that here, John the Baptist is going to fade into history. He's going to fade into the dust trail that his disciples leave behind, right? 
we're not going to really hear from him as much. And Jesus is going to take center stage. Now, now these two men who were, who were following Jesus, when, when they get close to him, Jesus turns around and look at what he says to them. He says, what are you seeking? Now, this is, it may not seem apparent, but this is kind of a weird question, right? Again, because we know things that these men don't necessarily know. We know that Jesus is what? He's God, right? He knows everything. So doesn't Jesus know what they're saying? Like, why is he, why is he asking this? And, it, and to be honest, the, the question is really di- direct. It almost borders on like, on like bluntness. It's as if Jesus turns to them and says, like, what do you want? Like, what, what do you want? And the, the disciples, their response is, is one full of nerve, right? Is one full of nerves. They, in my opinion, they respond to Jesus like a couple of teenagers who are just meeting Taylor Swift for the first time, right? They're, they're super nervous. that They don't even answer Jesus' question. When Jesus says, what are you seeking? They ask him, wait, well, hey, where do you live? Right? That doesn't make any sense, right? They're, they're nervous. They're nervous about this person, this man, whom they think may in fact be the Lamb of God. They, they respond to him, Rabbi. Rabbi this is another title that, that Jesus is going to receive. And it, it, means, it means teacher. John explains that for us in the Gospel this morning. It was a, a title of, of great reverence and respect. If you were called rabbi, you were considered a holy and a very respectable man. It was a term used by a student for his master. Nathaniel is going to call Jesus this. Later on in John's Gospel, Nicodemus is going to call Jesus this. And, and these men who have just declared that Jesus is their rabbi, they, they, have, they obviously have lots of questions for him, right? If he is indeed the Lamb of God, there are lots of things that these men need to ask him. And so this, this question, like, where do you live, is, hey man, like, I want to come home, I want to spend time with you, I want to talk to you. And since it was a, the 10th hour, which what you need to know about that, it was probably around 4 p.m., it was later in the evening, it was getting, it would be getting dark soon, and so Jesus says, come, and you'll see, come, and you'll see, and he invites them, Jesus invites them back to his home for the night. And and, and this is where our imaginations can run wild. Can you imagine what their dinner conversation is like? Sitting around the table with Jesus, asking questions, all those things that John the Baptist had been, had been telling him, been telling them for who knows how long, they could now ask Jesus. Like, they could ask him in person. Well, John finally gives us the name of, of one of the disciples who who left John the Baptist to follow Jesus. His name is, is Andrew, right? Now, there remains, remember there was two, there remains an unnamed disciple. Um, most people believe that it was actually John the Apostle, or John, who would become John the Apostle, the, the guy who wrote the Gospel of John. But we can't, we can't prove that. We can't say for sure. Um, so, so you have Andrew and possibly John the Apostle, and, and whatever the case is, the the meeting, they're meeting the one that they believe to be the Messiah. And, and this is not something. When, when these men come into contact, when they meet Jesus for the first time, this is not something that they want to keep to themselves. Notice what Andrew does in our text. He goes and finds his brother Simon. He goes and finds his brother Simon. And what does he insist to Simon? He says, Simon, we have found the Messiah, 
Here's another title that these men give to Jesus that, that I'm telling you, they, they understand partly, but they don't, they don't fully grasp the, the scope of what they're saying. John translates it for us. He says Christ. That's just the Greek version of Messiah, and so that's where we get our English word, English word Christ. And, and what it means is anointed one. This is the anointed one of Israel. It was a, it was a special term set aside for one who had been called for a special task. It's often used of the king of Israel, Old Testament, um, the high priest, or prophet. And it's, it's likely that in calling Jesus the Messiah, Andrew has something very different in mind than we, like when we think of Messiah, right? We think um, Jesus who goes to the cross, who sheds blood and dies for our sin. Andrew probably has something very different in mind. He probably has in mind a, a more of a, a political leader, even a king that would come in and free his people, his nation, from, uh, in this case, the, the Roman oppressors who were ruling over them. And what Jesus is going to reveal to Andrew and ultimately all the disciples is that he is the Messiah, but he is going to free them from a far greater power than Rome or any other type of government or person. He's going to free them from their sin. Andrew is speaking far better than he knows. And, and notice this encounter with Andrew and his brother. He doesn't try to convince Peter. He doesn't try to convince Peter that Jesus is the Messiah. He just tells him who he's found. Hey, hey, bro, I found the Messiah. Why don't you come and see? And, and it's worth noting here that every time, when we, as we work through the Gospel of John, every time we see Andrew's name mentioned, Guess what he's doing? He's bringing someone to Jesus. He's bringing someone to Jesus. Would that be said of me and, and all of you that, that the primary thing that we're about in our lives is bringing people, bringing people to Jesus? So, so Andrew, he brings, he brings Simon to Jesus and, and something incredible happens in this first scene here. Um, as a result of this, this invitation, Simon comes and Jesus gives Simon a new name. This is where, this is where Simon literally gets the name Peter. Jesus says, uh, Simon, you are the son of John, but now you're going to be Peter. You're going to be Peter. John, again, he translates this for us. Cephas is just the Aramaic version of Peter. It means rock. That's all that that means. It, it means rock. And what, what's interesting about this is that Peter... Peter is not yet the rock, right? He's not yet this mature follower of Jesus who is the, the leader of the early church. It's as if Jesus is making a proclamation over Peter that day. Peter, you're going to follow me. Or Simon, you're, you're following me. And I'm going to transform you into Peter. I'm going I'm to make you to fill these, these very large shoes, this important role that you don't even fully understand with Peter when I'm done Simon when I'm done with you you will no longer be Simon son of John you're going to be Peter the rock Peter had no idea think about that no idea that day how his life would change forever as a result of Jesus he had he had no idea he was still Simon but over the course of history he would grow in to Peter the rock take time Think Peter felt like? Think Peter felt like Peter? You think he felt like this person that Jesus is calling him to be, and he was betraying Jesus the night that Jesus was arrested? Right? 
think he really felt like a rock, like a, a mature, faithful believer. I doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt he did. So Peter has, has no idea how his life is going to change, but it has. It has and it will as a result of his encounter with Jesus. And listen, this morning, as we're thinking about this and considering it, Jesus hasn't changed any of our names, I don't, I don't think. Right? My name's still Robert, and I'm a follower of Jesus. But, but if you're in Christ this morning, Jesus has very much rewritten your story as a result of his work in your life. He has rewritten your story. He has set your life on a new path that, that when you first came to faith in Christ, you probably had no idea how your life was going to change as a result of this encounter with Jesus that you had. Your, your life's not, not perfect. You, you make mistakes. You sin. You fall. But, but Jesus has, has put you on a path that will ultimately lead to incredible things. You're something new. Will be something new. Something perfect. Listen, listen to what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And, and, and listen to Paul again. Didn't he promise the Philippians in Philippians 1.6 that Jesus would faithfully complete the work he started in each of them? That work that he began in Simon, son of John that day, he would complete. Simon, son of John, would fill the shoes that are Peter, the rock, the, the early leader of the church, and he will do the same for you. This, this passage in Philippians 1.6 is one of my, my favorite verses in the entire Bible where Paul encourages the Philippians. He says, I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is likely that, that many of you walked in here this morning probably not feeling too stealthy, right? Week's been hard. Um, maybe uh, a particular sin struggle has you've just battled with it all week, and maybe you've lost some. This life's just hard right now. Um, I have a kid that's potty training. Like I don't, I don't feel awesome most days right now. Right? I don't feel like God's doing great things in my life most days. And I imagine that some of you walked in here the same way. And so, what happens with with Peter and Jesus here, and what what Paul reminds us is that is that Jesus is faithful. He is faithful, and even though we can't see and our circumstances tell us otherwise, that we're not lost causes if we're in Christ. That, that what He has called us to be, he, he will stick with us every step of the way throughout our entire lives to ensure that one day when we stand before God, that He'll be standing next to us, and He will present us as holy and blameless. So, so keep going. Keep, keep trusting that Jesus will make you into the man or the woman that he called you to be. Well, this brings us to, to the second scene in our text this morning that I, that I want us to consider. So let's read beginning in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. 
Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, and you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Well, uh, in this second scene here in our text, uh, Jesus, he heads for Galilee where he found, where he finds Philip. He calls Philip to follow him, right? That's what our, that's what our text tells us. Now, uh, what we learn here is that like Andrew and Peter, Philip grew up in Bethsaida. They, they grew up in the same town. And it, it, we can let our imaginations run a little bit here. Like, what if, what if Peter and Andrew and Philip, what if they were all like childhood buddies? What if they were all friends and, and had connections and, and knew each other? Bethsaida was a, a, a fishing village. It was about a mile and a half north of the Sea of Galilee. And, and we need to be clear again here with, with the names because Philip the Apostle is not the same Philip that we read about and have read about in Acts, Philip the Evangelist. This is a a different Philip. So so Jesus calling a Philip, though, sets off a a chain reaction of events, as we saw in the scene there. And this chain reaction is going to be a pattern that we're going to see throughout John's Gospel as as we're studying through it. Following Jesus seems to lead others to being sought to do the same. When someone comes to Jesus, they just seem to naturally go find all their friends and tell them about it. Tell them about him, right? John the Baptist said, this guy, Jesus, he's the Messiah. And Andrew and John followed Jesus. Probably John followed Jesus. As a result, Andrew goes and gets his brother Peter. Now, as a result of Jesus calling Philip, Philip goes and finds his friend, Nathaniel, and says, hey, Nathaniel, I found the Messiah come see, Philip's act here is very, very intentional. He wasn't just walking around town and, and bumped into Nathaniel. No, Philip meets Jesus, and then he makes a beeline for his friend Nathaniel. Nathaniel, come and see what I found. Come see. He, Philip had found something amazing. He had to tell his friend about it. Uh, one, of the, one, of the guy, one of the commentators that I read this week, uh, his name is D.A. Carson, this is what he said about this little seemingly insignificant event here. He says, this is the foundational principle of truly Christian expansion. Let me, let me put that another way. This is the original church growth strategy. The original church growth strategy. You meet Jesus, and you go and tell all your friends about him and bring them to him, right? The original church growth strategy. And so, as we, as we think about that, it, it's important for us to notice that these guys, they didn't have a fancy evangelism tool or some other type of evangelism strategy. This wasn't a planned mission trip, right? They hadn't planned this out for months, bought plane tickets and all that stuff. And listen, none of those things are bad. Those are all good things. Good things. And and those types of programs and, and plans have their place. But I think what John wants us to see here this morning is that's not the primary way the gospel is spread and not the primary way the church grows. The primary way those things happen is through ordinary, everyday relationships. You meet Jesus, you go tell your friend about it. You go and tell your friend about it. But, 
But to do this this morning requires something of us. It requires that we actually have meaningful relationships with people outside the church, right? Um, I was talking about this this week with my, with my cell group. Like, this is hard. It seems so easy, right? But this is really hard. It's so easy to, to become insulated and live in our little bubble with all of our, our Christian friends, the people that we go to church with, and, and not really know anybody that's different than us, that's other than us. But if, if we're going to, uh, to bring people to Jesus, then we've got we to actually know people who don't know Him. Can you name one person this morning that's the question I had to ask myself. Can you name one person right now who has not believed the gospel who would call you their friend? Call you their friend. When's the, when's the last time you spoke to that person? Right? When's the, the last time you spoke to them about Jesus? When's the last time you had them over for dinner or spent some other kind of meaningful time? This is the, the original plan. Friends, this is, this is part of the, the strategy behind missional community and specifically behind third space that, that as we would begin to live together on mission, we would begin to introduce our friends to Jesus and to our other friends who, who love Jesus, that this would just become a natural part of our life. That it would just become like everyday normal language when we're talking to people who don't know Jesus. Hey, why don't you come and see? Why don't you come and see about this one who loves me and who has died for me. Now, now, most likely here in our text, Nathaniel, he's the same man who is referred to by the other gospel writers as Bartholomew. You go read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you hear a man named Bartholomew. Bartholomew means son of Ptolemaeus, right? So um, Nathaniel was actually probably his given name. So probably the same person. We learn from John 21, verse 2, later on in John's gospel, that Nathaniel was from the city of Cana. Now, that's going to be important next week, but just so you know, he's, he's from Cana. And Philip says to Nathaniel, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. In short, what, what Philip has just said there is that, Nathaniel, we have found the one who all the Old Testament scriptures point. He is Joseph's son, and he's from the town of Nazareth. Now, what's interesting here is the thing that really gets Nathaniel's attention, it's not the whole like, hey, he's the one that all the Old Testament pointed to. It's the fact that Jesus is Joseph's son, and he's from Nazareth. That's what, that's what perks Nathaniel's attention up. Like, what did you say? Like, huh? This would have been a complete oxymoron to Nathaniel. The Messiah? From Nazareth? That's why he says, you should absolutely read sarcasm in that statement. Can anything good come from Nazareth? That's absolutely sarcastic. No one would have thought that the great Messiah, the promised one of God's people, would come from this little backwater, backwoods town in Galilee called, called Nazareth. That's, that's why Nathaniel replies the way that he does. But notice, notice, uh, Philip's response. Does Philip try to argue with Nathaniel? Does Philip pull out, you know, his, his Old Testament scroll and, you know, go to the, you know, chapter and verse. There weren't chapter and verses, but just, just go. Uh, go to his chapter and verse and say, I'm telling you, this is the one. He didn't do that. He didn't argue with Nathaniel. He just says, hey man, just come and see. So, just come and see 
for yourself. And I think as we're engaging with our friends and our neighbors with the gospel, that this should be, this should be um, helpful to us as we think about our, our own strategy. We don't, we all know how those types of gospel conversations go, right? When someone, we get in an argument with people about the gospel, who Jesus is, why we think we're, uh, we're right and they're wrong. Those, those kind of conversations, they never end well. And instead, what Philip does is he just invites Nathaniel to come and sell. Now, this should pose us a question, right? Jesus is not around him. He's, like, he's, not, he's not down the street or across the world where we can FaceTime him or something like that. So, so how do we do this? How do we follow Philip's lead and bring people to Jesus? Well, actually, I think that's a really good question. Because here's the, here's the deal. Christ is He's right here in this room, living within each of us. If you're in Christ this morning, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within you. It indwells you this morning. It, it lives inside you. Now, um, I, I don't want to rehash the whole thing again about bringing our our friends to Jesus, but, but there's something else here that I want to point out. The fact that, that Jesus lives within all of us. I can't bring people to Jesus, but I can invite unbelievers into my life. I can invite them into my home, around my family, and allow them to see how G, the Spirit of Jesus living within me changes the way I interact in all those relationships. But the, the other thing that I can do is that I can bring unbelievers to you. I can invite people who don't know Jesus to come and be a part of the church here at the Church at Blue Ridge, to come and be a part of my missional community, to rub shoulders with all of you who have Jesus' Spirit living within you. Consider this. There is no greater witness to Jesus than the gospel being lived out in the lives of His followers. There's no greater witness. That's, that's, that's you and I. That's each of us this morning, this is what John means when he says later in his gospel, chapter 13, verse 35, you may, all, you may all know this verse. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The love that we share with one another, the way that we care for and encourage one another, is an incredible witness to the gospel for people who don't believe. There's a, there's a famous uh, Christian thinker, apologist, his name is Francis Schaeffer. Um, he, he wrote a, a lot of really interesting stuff, but listen, listen to what, what he says about this. He says, let us be careful indeed to spend a lifetime studying to give honest answers. We need to, we need to have a reason for the hope that's what the teacher says, right? Spend a lifetime studying to give honest answers, but after we've done our best to communicate to a lost world, still we must never forget that the final apologetic, the greatest argument for the final apologetic which Jesus gave is the observable love of true Christians for true Christians. Philip said to Nathaniel, hey, or, yeah, to Nathaniel, hey, come and see. Just come and see for yourself. And we can do the same. Hey, neighbor, come and see. Come and see how, um, how my believing friends live and, and interact with one another. I don't need to argue with my neighbor about it. I just need to tell him the truth share the gospel with him, and then get him to you. Invite him to come and be a part of us. Invite him to be a part of my missional community. So, so let me ask you, who, who are you going to invite to missional community this week? That's the obvious way that we can respond to this. 
Which, which neighbor are you going to ask to join you and your family at church next week, right? Who, who are you having over for dinner this week? Who are you inviting into your relationship with other believers? All ways that we can respond with this potent gospel witness community of, of our love for one another. Well, so reluctantly to this invitation, Nathaniel the skeptic, and he is absolutely a skeptic, he accompanies his friend to meet, and Jesus sees him coming, and look at what Jesus says, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Now, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, this Nathaniel guy, hey Nathaniel, you're genuine, you're authentic. Now, naturally, this, this would have stunned anybody, it stuns Nathaniel, like, I've never met this guy before in my life. How does he know that I'm, that I'm an honest guy, that I'm a genuine, authentic kind of guy? And, and when Nathaniel, um, when he gets to Jesus, he, he questions, like, how, how could this be, right? How do you know me? And that's when, that's when Jesus tells him that, hey, man, when you were back there, with, when you were back there under that tree before Philip and came and got you, I, I saw you, right? I saw you. And that leads to Nathaniel's response, calling him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, it's not apparent. It's not, it's not apparent in the text. But what John wants us to think about in that scene right is actually a story from the Old Testament. It's the story of Jacob and his ladder. Have you ever read that story in the Old Testament of Jacob and his ladder? Um, you can read it in Genesis 27 through 28. I'm just going to give you the, the short version of it right, right now, okay? Jacob was one of Isaac's sons, all right? And he was sneaky, the opposite of Nathaniel. He was sneaky, inauthentic, and deceitful. And one day he tricked his older brother, in fact, Esau, into giving away his birthright, the blessing from his father, for a bowl of stew, all right? And so Nathaniel, or excuse me, Jacob's on the run now. And he's running away from his brother who wants to kill him. He's alone, he's broke. He lays down to sleep one night, and God gives him a dream, a vision. And he sees an enormous ladder reaching from earth to heaven. And angels are ascending and descending. And God is standing at the top. And God actually speaks to Jacob in the dream and says, Jacob, I'm going to give to you the promise that I made to your grandfather, Abraham. Jacob is Isaac's son. Isaac is Abraham's son. I'm going to give you that promise. Jacob wakes up terrified, as any of us would be, right? He wakes up terrified and convinced that the presence of God was in the place where he lay. In the presence of God where he lay. So, so what does this have to do with Nathaniel, right? What does this have to do with this scene? Well, unlike Jacob, Nathaniel, uh, he's not a deceiver. He's not inauthentic. He's, he's a truthful man. And he wasn't shy one bit that he doubted that Jesus was really the Messiah. He wasn't shy one bit about it. And Jesus' response to him is sarcastic. So all it took for me to convince you that I'm the Messiah is just to give you a little divine like foreknowledge, just tell you that I saw you before I ever met you. Like that's, that's all it took, Nathaniel, for me to convince you, skeptic. And then Jesus makes He says, Nathaniel, I'm going to show you things so great, so wonderful, so amazing that it's going to make that little, that little piece of uh, divine knowledge that I gave you look like a gimmick, look like a, a parlor trick. Jesus is saying with this connection to Jacob and his ladder, listen to me, that dream that Jacob had, it's real. It's real. God is not up at the top of some ladder. There's not even a ladder, Nathaniel. 
And God's not in the temple either. God is standing right here in front of you. He's come down to earth. God, as we learned a few weeks ago, has pitched his tent with men. He's taken on flesh. God's become a man, Nathaniel. And I'm him. I'm he. The last title in our text that Jesus gives himself, the Son of Man. Now, this is Jesus' favorite title in the entire gospel for himself. He always refers to himself as the Son of Man. Now, you can go and read more about it. It comes from Daniel 7, 13 through 14. All, all I want to point out this morning is that using it, um, Jesus is telling Nathaniel and the disciples that, I'm, that, that like that ladder, but greater than that ladder, Jesus is the link between earth and heaven. That God has come down to man. And Jesus is in, inviting them to, to be a part of that. To, to be a part of this, this link between heaven and earth. Jesus is, is saying, he's saying, guys, what are you seeking? Remember that question that Jesus asked him earlier? What are you seeking? Do you, do you want your sins forgiven? Jesus is asking them. Do you, do you want to live forever? What are you seeking? Do you want to know God? Jesus is saying, come and follow me. Come and see. I'll show you. I'll show you. And John, over the next several weeks, he's going to develop this idea even more. Remember all those titles that we've talked about this morning? John is going to show us how Jesus is all of those things in even greater ways than the disciples you and I could have imagined. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb of God who by His own blood will take away the sins of the world. Rabbi, he's the, the great teacher of God's people, but he hasn't come with some new teaching or new information. He's come to give his people new hearts. John's going to show us that. He is the Messiah. He's the promised one. He's Joseph's son from Nazareth. He's a man, fully man, just like you and I, but he's also the son of God. He's fully divine, the second member of the Trinity. He's the king of the the true king who will lead God's people in truth and justice. He is the son of man. He's the God-man who is bringing heaven to earth. And John is inviting us in text. He's inviting you as we, as we go through the gospel of John to, to come along with him. See who Jesus is. See he is indeed God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for the gift Son, it would have been completely just for you to remain where you are, silent and separated from us. We are sinners, we are fallen people. You chose not to. You chose to send the Son of Man to be the link between heaven and earth. So we, we thank you for that. I ask as we... Uh, we minister here in Blue Ridge that you would, you would give us grace to, to be Jesus' representatives in the world. That you would help us, like Andrew, to always be about bringing people to Jesus. To always be about telling the truth of who Jesus is and what He's done. Be about fighting, bringing people into the presence of your spirit as lived out life. Father, we, we pray for our friends and our neighbors this morning who do not have a relationship 
we ask that you, by your Spirit, would do a great work in their heart. That you would use us. You would use us as a part of that. Thank you for my friends. Bless us as we continue to worship. Send us out this week as your representative. I pray. Amen.